Welcome to Gears Action Growth, shifting business culture one conversation at a time. This is part two of debunking myths of passion, specifically in the workplace. My name is Christy Mori, and I'm joining Dr. Josephine Palermo, whose superpower is to create business cultures that transform organizations team by team. All right, so how are you this week, Joe? Oh, I'm, I'm really good, Christy. I'm, I'm hanging in there in lockdown. Yeah, we all are, huh? Mm. So we're continuing this conversation on passion in the workplace. So today we'll be discussing level of importance passion holds in the workplace, personal experiences of passion, um, how a business can cultivate passion, mm. and lessons learned from walk, work cultures that did not have passion. So starting off, should we talk about how passion should be an important thing instead of a byproduct? And how important is passion personally for you? You know, passion is, when we think about what passion is, it's an intense interest or desire. And if you have people in your company who have an intense interest and desire in what your purpose is or what the company purpose is, then they will go above and beyond for you. So yes, it is absolutely important. Um, and it's linked to ensuring that you're really leveraging people's interests. So, so, and that you know what people are interested in and that you're as much as possible aligning what they are being asked to do uh, accordingly to that. So uh, passion can be the difference between a good company and a great company. You know, think about your iconic brands. Think about your some of the iconic sports brands like Nike. Think about the iconic um, digital brands like uh, uh, Google, like Google, even. Yeah. And when we think when we see people who work in those in those companies, they are pumped. They're excited. They are really passionate about their their workplace, and they're really passionate about what the company's purpose is. So. It is important and uh, it's something that's important to me because I value autonomy in my work. So some people will be very driven by autonomy, not everybody, but some people in particular will be very driven by it. And for them in particular, it's important that they're very passionate about what they're doing to maintain their interest and maintain their drive in the workplace. So how do you gather um, passionate people Firstly, like, you need... to work with you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. Firstly, you need to make sure that at a company level, you're really clear about your purpose uh, and that you articulate that and the leaders of your company know how to talk about that and they themselves are passionate. Uh, and what that will do is draw other people to you and it'll draw the kinds of people who also have that interest and that so so your purpose and their interest is aligning and then hopefully your culture is demonstrating to them that you're you're kind of walking the talk uh, so that the culture is also aligned to that purpose because the worst thing you can do is bring a really passionate purpose a person in who's very aligned to your purpose into a culture that doesn't make sense, that doesn't align to the to their passion, that that doesn't also um, demonstrate to them that 
the leaders of that company and people who have also worked there are really passionate about what they say they're passionate about. And that happens sometimes, doesn't it? Actually, more than sometimes, where a passionate person goes in somewhere and then it's not really cultivating the culture of passion. Exactly. So their expectations are that they're going to see a particular way of working that aligns to that particular purpose, that they're they're going to be developed and um, acknowledged for their own unique sort of skills and talents and that that will be cultivated and that other people in the workplace will equally have interests and passions and that they'll get along uh, um, or even if they debate, they they'll they'll find like-minded people who are equally interested and passionate. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, they very quickly will be disillusioned. So, how does a company keep this um, cultivation continually and practically of passion? So, what what you've got to ensure is that you understand what motivates your people. So, and you know. Motivation is um, can be different for different people, but it'll usually fall into three buckets. So people are usually motivated by a sense of autonomy, like me. I like to do it my way. I like to um, think through things and then um, implement things in a way that's maybe novel. Um, having a sense of autonomy for me is really important. I I don't flourish in cultures where there's lots of rules that I don't necessarily align to. Like micromanaging. Yeah, exactly. I flourish where where I'm allowed to, you know, flex and grow. Many people on the planet are like me uh, or um, many people on the planet are also motivated by a sense of competency and mastery. So they want to be acknowledged for their skills. They want to uh, ensure that... Um, there are opportunities to develop and get better at what they do. And so they're going to be motivated when they're given a chance to do that in the workplace where they can see a lot of training, a lot of development, where they may be, um, if, they, if they do a job really well, that they're praised for that, that they get rewarded for that. So for them, that's going to be really important. And then other people in uh, on the planet are also motivated by a sense of belonging. So they're going to be more motivated and really passionate about uh, a company and a culture that fosters a sense of family, that loyalty around really getting to know um, other people in the organisation, that fosters relationships. So what they're going to be expecting is a culture where people uh, care about each other and uh, they can see that demonstrated. So once you understand what motivates people, then Uh, aligning them to your purpose needs to be through those motivational drivers. And that's how you will sustain passion for for your purpose in the organisation. And that's how you'll attract people. So, for example, if I um, have heard a lot about a company because um, I'm also passionate about, about that particular thing that they do, I might be passionate about, for example, ensuring that you know, everyone in the country has equal access to uh, products that help them connect through the internet. Um, so I might be attracted to telecommunications type or technology companies that are really um, talking a lot about 
giving everyone access to new digital technologies because they see that as a kind of leveling field. And, and if you don't have access to those technologies, you're going to be left behind. And we see countries where some people at, at particular parts of society don't have access to digital technology and they are left behind in terms of education, in terms of opportunities. So if I have a real passion for that in terms and, a, and I value that, and then I go into an organisation like that where you know, management are very top down, it's a very hierarchical culture, um, you know, people are not treated fairly, then that culture is going to be, you know, what I'm experiencing is very jarring to what the company said they were about. And I'm not necessarily going to maintain my drive to do a good job in that in that context. So I've been in some workplaces that didn't value passion, but they valued other things like money or power. And what um, kind of lessons can we learn from those kinds of experiences? Mm, mm. Thank Christy, I've been in some organizations like that too, and um, I don't last very long. And mm, I, guess, I didn't either. Yes. And, and there we go. That's the lesson. So um, <laughs> there is... Um, especially right now, companies are really fighting for talent. We have a shortage of skills and talent in Australia and, and some in some areas. And in particular, companies always fight for um, exceptional talent. So you, you will never achieve greatness in, a, in an organisation or a company if you don't have people driving um, and, and really passionate people in an organisation who are driving in the same direction to to get the best results for their their customers or clients and mm. to innovate, et cetera. And so I think that uh, if, if your culture values status and um, the only reward that that, that, that company is leveraging or, or levering is, you know, monetary reward, then what you're actually going to get is a workplace that um, has high turnover uh, also, it might be a workplace where you do have people that stay, but they're staying, uh, in a, in some in some ways for the wrong reasons. They 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 also you you will have people who stay because they value the rewards that they're getting, and that's fine. Um, but they may not necessarily go above and beyond. They may not necessarily um, be thinking about how to innovate. Uh, they you might be missing a whole proportion of the population that think differently and therefore they may not um, be ready to adapt to um, new um, demands from customers or clients. And so so there's a there's a there can be a risk in in sort of not having innovation in a company like that. You may also have people who are achieving results but not in the way that is sustainable. So they may be achieving results because they get rewarded for it, but they might be taking shortcuts or they might be doing it with less care. And in the end, um, companies um, like that are not going to be attractive to um, some customers who right now are really um, using their consumer um, power in a way to choose certain companies over others. So we know that, for example, in, in um, consumer research, that customers are likely to, to spend their consumer dollar on companies that align with their values around, you know, for example, it could be sustainability of the planet, it could be um, sustainability and equity. You know, there's 
values are becoming more and more important. So they may choose a company that um, has is more ethically aligned to them versus um, another company. The, the other, um, I guess the other impact is that when you, when you have uh, status and power and monetary rewards as the only things that are driving behavior in an organization, you may also have a certain part of that workforce that are just going to kind of fly under the radar um, because they they don't want to risk, um, I guess, you know, uh, being uh, admonished for doing something that is going to um, upset the, the chance that they can get that reward. So you see this, for example, when you have executives who have bonuses in particular areas that are tied to particular, you know, key key results, and and they will really drive hard an organization to achieve that result. And it could be that they achieve that result at the expense of other aspects that they should be achieving. So it could be that, you know, they burn through uh, employees, they, they're not fostering talent, they're achieving that result, but they're really, um, you know, screwing down their suppliers in mm. a really terrible way. And so their suppliers are suffering. Um, so it, you get this, you get a lot of behavior that might be really misaligned to making sure that that company has a sustainable future and a sustainable supply chain, for example. So um, there are lots of consequences because we, we at, a, at an organization like that, you, you may end up in a, in a kind of cycle of just achieving results for the sake of it. And so it won't ever, what you're saying is those kinds of companies never really make it to the forefront of, you know, innovation and things like yes, that. That's right. So while mm. they might, they might be, you know, maintaining, they might maintain a market share, they might maintain their position. It'll be a defensive position in the market, though, that it's very hard for organizations like that to innovate. You need people to be free to think differently to, to in order to innovate and you need structures in place like even reward structures um, that that encourage that encourage people to go above and beyond in terms of what they're thinking and um, and they're doing in relation to you know forming new relationships in relation to forming new ideas and if you have an organization that is just you know heavily um, controlled in that way and because the culture is a symptom of that um, then you're less likely to have those free thinkers come in and, and give you ideas and innovate. Mm, so it's really really harmful actually when people don't value passion in the workplace. Mm, mm. Can you share with us um, just to wrap up about a company or group that you previously worked with and it could be unnamed mm -hmm. and that actually was the opposite. They let people have autonomy they exuded passion and, you know, you liked going to work every day and so did mm. everybody else. Mm. You know, um, I, I, I don't need to hide their name. Um, I, I spent a lot of my time working at Telstra in um, a senior position um, and managing strategic change. And at the time that I joined Telstra, there, um, David Thody was the CEO and he had a new strategy which was to really focus on customer advocacy. And this was at a time where Telstra was 
um, getting a lot of feedback from their customers that their customer service was just not up to par, and there are a lot new there are a lot of new um, um, uh, telecommunications companies coming up. They had just deregulated in Australia, so there was more competition. And consumers, as they do, were taking their consumer dollar elsewhere because they just weren't getting what they needed from Telstra. But David had a, a great um, passion for customers. He had been actually an executive at Telstra uh, for a long time. And, and he went, as soon as he kind of got into that CEO seat, he was one-eyed about it and he was driven. And what he proceeded to do was really drive that passion for the customer all the way down the organisation. And uh, myself, with many other people in the team, joined him in helping people to think differently about the customer um, and, and create mindset shifts so that people working right across the organisation had the customer top of mind. And, and for example, I was working in kind of the, the the back operations part of Telstra. So I was working in, you know, customer service areas, but, you know, the operations part of that. And uh, I was working with networks, engineers and people in IT, you know, all of those enablement fun functions that enabled the people on the front line in the stores and in the retail areas to do their job. So for many years, these people didn't even think about the customer because they didn't have that direct line to the customer. They never talked to a customer. And so what we did, because we we had the permission from the CEO, is we had great programs that we developed, which brought those people in direct line of sight with their customer. We actually had workshops um, that where we talked about their line of sight. We gave them permission to take customer um, queries on. So a lot of our staff would, you know, for example, go to barbecues and their friends and family would um, really have very negative things to say about Telstra. And so our staff were getting to a point where they were embarrassed to say that they worked for Telstra. So what we did is we gave them permission to take on a customer complaint. So we created an app and, for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my very favourite aunties unfortunately passed away, and she, but she was a, um, my mother's second cousin. So I didn't know a lot of the extended family. And I went to the wake with my mother and was, you know, meeting some new, new sort of extended family there. Mm, and yeah. one of them said, one of them said, oh, you know, so what do you do? And I said, well, I work at Telstra. And he went, oh, and that was often <laughs> Is that it, is it good? Uh, no, it was a really bad No, reaction. okay. <laughs> no, he was like, oh, you know, I've had, I've had an ongoing dispute with them. And so he started, and normally this would have been the experience of many employees. And normally they would have, like, like myself, I would have said to him, well, I don't really work in retail, so I can't help you. But instead I took out my phone, I took out the app and I said, you know what, I can help you. I will, I've got, uh, I'll take your details and we'll get a case manager for you and then I'll be on the other end of that. And we did this for hundreds and thousands of customers because employees suddenly, didn't matter where they worked in the organisation, could advocate for customers. And so this, we did that as well as many other things in the customer advocacy program, including changing the, the key metrics that executives paid attention to. 
And what we did is really turn that around and we turned around that the culture that, that Telstra had, but we also turned around some of the customers who hadn't been advocates to advocates. And of course, that's not perfect. Like if I look at Telstra today, there are still issues because it's a, it's a, um, a national carrier and um, there are, you know, customers will have issues from time to time. But what we were able to do was make huge improvements to the customer experience. We were able to reduce the, also the amount of time that customers um, take between ordering a product and getting a product um, because that was a real pain point for a lot of customers. Um, and so there were a lot of innovative um, ways in which Telstra improved that customer experience because they were solely focused on that. So, and for me, I am very passionate about ensuring that, that the people that I work with are passionate about what they do. But I, I, and I'm very passionate about people, as you know, Christy. So for me, mm. I was able, I actually stayed at Telstra much longer than I thought I would uh, in management because I was very much on board with this strategy, very much on board with the purpose. I was working with people that are pa very passionate. And, and, and to give you an, an example of how that affects you at a team level, the people that I was leading at that time, we still get together. Um, and many of us have left Telstra now, but we still get together and we have a WhatsApp group and we call that WhatsApp group best team in the world. <laughs> so we are still, I mean, we're still connected to each other because we had such a great experience. Wow. At that time. And that extends beyond workplace. You're just it friends extends now. beyond it. Exactly. Wow. So this kind of brings me to a wrap-up question, which is, especially at this time where people are looking for work and they're probably just wanting to get work, is there something that you can advise people to do um, when they are looking for work, not to be desperate to just um, go into a bad company culture? Mm, yeah. Look, I think that it's it's always tricky, isn't it? Because if you're if you're looking for work, there's a need there that you have. And so you want to be able to, um, you know, fulfill that need. And it could yeah. be you need to take care of your family or yourself. Um, but having said that, I think that uh, during during the recruitment stage, so during the interview stage, you can actually ask questions. And I would be always recommending that people ask questions about the culture of the organisation. And if you want to really get a sense of... Um, how culture is de is sort of demonstrated in an organization you can ask someone tell me what your day what an what an average day looks like in this role or tell me um you know what what you what you care about during your day in this workplace so because culture is actually about the way things are done and they, they're often all the small intangible interactions that you have in a workplace that give you a sense of what the culture is like. And so, um, so if someone can answer that question, you get a sense of what the experience would be like. Ah, that's such a good question. I've never actually asked that specific one. What do you care about in your day? Yeah. What, what are you supposed to care about in the day? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so good. Well, everybody, hopefully that will help you in your 
journey towards finding a passionate workplace or creating a passionate work culture. And we just thank you for listening and looking forward to connecting with you next time. Please send us your questions and what you might want to hear more of in these series. And let us know about your experiences in working in great cultures or bad cultures at josephine at geared4growth.biz, which is in the description below. And we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye.